Before I start in on uh, Mark chapter 7, um, how many of you received a card or have received a card in the past from Sharon Nafe? How many of you have been encouraged by Sharon Nafe? Yeah? Thank you. What seems like little things make big impacts, and so I just wanted to say thank you very much. I want you to notice this morning on your, uh, your bulletin that just to the bottom right of where uh, sermon notes are included, if you'll look ahead for next week, that'll prepare you. I, I told the uh, folks I was meeting with this morning, that you can read, you can study, you can be prepared for next week as you look to John chapter 8, and that's something we're going to do every week, so it gives you an idea of where we're headed. That means you've got a little bit of homework over the next week. At least read it a few times before we get here, and um, that way we'll be on the same page. So please consider that opportunity. As we begin today, in regards to these two miracle stories in Mark chapter 7, I want to point your attention to Mark chapter 16 for a second. We talked about this last week. Mark 16, verse 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Them being the apostles, the disciples. Or if you will, when you fast forward 2,000 years, them being you and I. Those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, as we've been talked about over and over again, we are not just consumers, we are also followers of Jesus Christ. Them, those of us going into the world and proclaiming the gospel to the whole creation. That's where Mark is headed, even in Mark chapter 7. So let me ask you to consider your God this morning. Most of us think of God as somewhere being out there. You know what I mean when I say out there somewhere? I recited a bit of Psalm chapter 8 last week, the psalmist would say, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. You put the sun, the stars, the moon into place, and the psalmist is declaring the, the greatness, the vastness of God. And so the psalmist would say that God is over there. God is beyond creation. Everybody understand? That's, that's something that we call transcendent. It's something that we call God is greater than all of is creation. Creator over creation. He's outside of time and space, if you will. Most of us think of God that way, and that's true. We should think of God as being in charge of everything, right? God is still on His throne. God is not surprised by anything. God is what we would call the holy other, according to Martin Luther. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is omnibenevolent. He is all good. God is Everything that we talk about. God is the standard. That is God transcendent. But sometimes when we think of God being transcendent, we forget that God is also imminent. God among us. Or as Hal likes to recite, correctly I think, God with us. It comes from Isaiah. It comes from Matthew. God in the here and now. So it's not just the Psalm 8 transcendent God, it's also the John 14 text where Jesus says this, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has ever seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I tell you truly, whoever believes in me 
will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. That's the them, because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying it's not just the God over there. It's not just the God that's outside of time and space. It's not just the God that's above us as creation. It's also the God with us. It's also the God among us. One of the theologians named Jürgen Moltmann would say it's God within us, God among us. That's where I think we as Western society, we as the church sometimes get God wrong. We are very focused on seeing things. But how many of you have physically seen God? We are focused on touching things, but how many of you have physically touched God? We're, we're very auditory people, but how many of you have actually heard the voice of God? Do you understand what I'm saying? We think of God outside of time and space. We think of a transcendent God, and yes, we should, but God is also with us. God is also imminent. God among us. What allows us to be the church, church, what allows us to be the called out ones in the midst of a broken world, what causes us to be the ecclesia, those different from the rest of the world, is that God is within us. Paul would say we are the very, we being the church, not just mankind, but those of you who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are the very temple of God. Do you hear that? God here and now. God when you go to Walmart and you're dealing with the cashier. Walmart? Yeah. God's not just evidence in the trees and, and nature. And the sun rising and the sun setting. God is also in people that we don't typically want to see God in. You follow what I'm saying? God in a hospital bed. Who somebody may say a word and... You have to think about it for a second and you recognize, hey, that was God That was God in the here and now. That was God speaking to me. God in a homeless person. You see, there's what we call this general revelation church. You know what general revelation is, don't you? General revelation is this idea that, that God displays in His natural revelation that, that God is what, what causes a tree to grow? What causes a plant to grow? Well, we can use all the scientific answers, if you will, but ultimately it comes down to God. What causes the sun to set? What causes the sun to, to, to rise? What, what causes the earth to rotate on its axis at a certain angle for 365 and one quarter days? You can use every kind of a science explanation you want, but ultimately it comes down God in the here and now, right? God in the GPS, right? We all understand God being transcendent. But we miss sometimes God with us. We miss sometimes when God is trying to speak to us. The general revelation that we were just talking about, the natural revelation, everybody sees that. Everybody has to recognize, Romans 1 would talk about this, Paul would say, this is natural things. This is male with female, not male with male or female with female, but male with female, right? There are, there are certain things that everybody in society sees whether they want to acknowledge it or not. That's what we call general revelation. Everybody good? Then we talk about special revelation. And that special revelation is God coming to us and speaking to us. So, for instance, when I was eight years old, and I've mentioned this before, but when I was eight years old on a Sunday night, 
I believe God was leading up to this particular point in time, this nexus. But I was eight years old, sitting in a church, and it was like the preacher and I, there, was, there were probably hundreds of people in the church, but it was just the preacher and I, if you know what I'm talking about. That's special revelation. Everybody understand? So God speaks to Moses from a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Take off the sandals where you're standing, Moses. The place where you're standing is holy ground. But why is it holy? It's not just about a bush that's not burning up. It's the very presence of God that makes it holy. You can think of your own examples throughout Scripture. But, but God is in the here and now. He's God with us. If you think back to Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, there are seven promises that we've talked about before. It says this, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, you guys remember Abram, right? The father of the Jews. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. In other words, it's not just going to be about you, Abram. It's going to be about many others. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now catch this, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth, all the families, plural. This is not just Jews. Remember what we just read about in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, when Jesus commands them to go into all the earth? Not just in the ancient Near East, not just for the Israelites. We read it all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Everything hinges on this promise in Genesis chapter 12. Even Jesus is scattered in the Old Testament, including this promise in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's not talking about just God transcendent, right? He's not just talking about an all-powerful God. He's saying, Abram, your responsibility as the nation of Israel is going to be established underneath you. Your responsibility is to point people toward God. You follow? And what does he mean by all, all nations will be blessed through you? Of course, we know that. New Testament Christians, we know that as being Jesus Christ. Can I share another text with you from Isaiah chapter 35? If you're writing down notes, I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 35. You'll just notice here on the screen verses 5 and 6. But I would encourage you to look back sometime this afternoon, sometime this week, to Isaiah chapter 35, and listen, based upon what we just read, the promise from God to the Israelites, the promise from God to Abraham, the promise from God to the church, the called out ones, to make much of God, we talked about. Listen to what it says. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given... This is 700 years before Jesus Christ is born. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. In other words, there's going to be some kind of revelation coming, right? Strengthen the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, don't fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to what? To save you, it says. Remember the promise that Gabriel gives to Mary? You will give birth to a child and he will save his people from their sins. 
This is a messianic prophecy even back 700 years prior to Jesus Christ being born. This is a prophecy about imminence, about God coming to His people. Verses 5 and 6, probably here on the ESV, but I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, Then the eyes of the blind, listen, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. That's you and I, church. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed. Not religious people. Only the redeemed. Only those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ will be on this road. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Can I get an amen? That's the Gospel, right? That is the Gospel. You may think, what does this have to do with Mark chapter 7? Before I deal with those two miracle stories that Mickey read for us, can I ask you to consider one more thing? We think of evangelism as being sharing God, sharing Jesus with those around us, right? I mean, go into all the world. That sounds like evangelism to me. Mark chapter 16, Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and proclaim the goodness of God. That's our great commission. That's our role. That's our job description as believers of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about evangelism in a different way today. And I'll make a case for it from Mark chapter 7 here in just a moment. But listen to how I want you to think of evangelism from this point forward. It's not just about me telling my neighbor about Jesus Christ. That's important. It's not just about me sharing with somebody I come in contact with about the goodness of Jesus Christ, why I have joy, why I have a church home, why I have happiness despite the struggle. Right? It's not just about that. First and foremost, we have to go all the way back to the goodness of God. For God to tell us about evangelism, God has to be an evangelist. You understand what I'm saying? Yes? Some of you? In other words, for God to give us authority, Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, or for this reason, go into all the world. Go tell people about Jesus Christ. Go tell people about God. God is the first missionary. God doesn't need anything. Remember, we talked about it. He's all-knowing. He's self-sufficient. And yet He chooses to create, knowing that we will screw it up. He knows about Genesis chapter 3. We just read from Genesis chapter 12, and God is still wanting relationship with His creation. Isn't that amazing? God, God who creates out of His goodness, God who has a place set aside for us as His people, knowing full well that we're going to mess it up, creates anyway. 
And he tells Abram, and he tells the Israelite nation, and he gives us the same promise if you understand your Scriptures. He gives us the same promise when he says, and all nations will be blessed through you. Why? It's not because of education. It's not because you know any better. It's all because you have Jesus. It's all because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. It's all because of the very presence of God. You understand what I'm talking about? It's not just the God over there. It's not just the God who is... It's the people who offer you the bread and the wine when they say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Do you understand? It's the representatives when they get up and they read Scripture. It's God with us. God is the first missionary. God is the first evangelist. And for us to sit on our hands, for us to just receive and not doing anything else about it, it it's, the people that, it's the people that pass the offering plate and we think we may be giving our money, but it's not about us giving our money. It's about tithing. It's about recognizing the goodness of God. And it's above tithing. There's a difference between tithing and, and sacrifice. Right? Tithing and, and giving. Tithing and, and giving an offering. There's a huge difference with that. But you understand, it's about recognizing that God allows us. God, God has told us a certain message. God has convinced us of something. I'm talking to believers now. I know this is probably foreign to those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if there happens to be somebody in that, that way this morning in here. But Paul would say this is, this is foolishness to those who don't understand the cross. But for those of us who understand what Jesus Christ has done, for those of us who understand, as we just talked about in Isaiah chapter 35, or in Genesis chapter 12, that God is the first evangelist, that God is the first missionary, that God, despite our brokenness, continues to reach out, and He reaches out, and He reaches out, and He reaches out. You can call that grace, and grace, and grace, and mercy, and mercy, and mercy. And He wants relationship with you. And you can't explain that to anybody else unless you've received that yourself. No matter what you do, no matter how educated you are, you really can't get your head around this goodness of God unless you've allowed it to penetrate the very core of who you are. What does this have to do with Mark chapter 7? Jesus finds Himself leading His apostles in a foreign place. In other words, this is out of their comfort zone. You guys may remember the, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Anybody remember the John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman? It says that they must go through Samaria. Well, nobody must go through Samaria, especially if you're a good Jew. You don't go through Samaria. The, Samarians, the Samaritans are dogs. They're, they're half-breeds. They're people that we as Jews, love to hate. And yet Jesus says we must go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. Most people traveled on the Transjordan. They traveled on the other side of the Jordan River. But I've often thought it kind of strange that the apostles would probably have this conversation as they were going to the town to buy food. And Even more strange that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. In a similar way, here in Mark chapter 7, He leads His apostles. Notice what I said. Jesus leads his closest followers outside their comfort zone. They're going into a place with ravenous wolves, so to speak. Glenn just read for us Psalm 120. 
If you look at Psalm 120 through about 131, we have the songs of ascent. And there are this picture after picture after picture where the people of God are on their way to the presence of God, right? They're on their way to Jerusalem. They're on their way to the temple. And it is a dangerous, dangerous road to be on. And here in the New Testament, Jesus is leading his apostles into dangerous territory. And can you imagine the conversations they're having with one another? What are we doing here? I thought Jesus told us that he was going to come and preach from town to town. I get that. But we're supposed to be preaching to the Jews, right? We're supposed to be all about the Jewish nation, right? And we find ourselves in the middle of foreigners. This is not the first place they would pick. Is that fair? And Jesus leads them away from their comfort zone. Then there's a lesson there for us somewhere. He leads the disciples to the Gentiles. If you don't know where Tyre and Sidon are, they're right on that coastline, that coastline of the Mediterranean. Those of you in our Bible study this morning, this is the Philistine area. This is the, the place that the Jews just despised. They, they hated because the Philistines were seafaring people and nothing good came from the sea. Nothing good came from the Mediterranean. You know, if any time that James and John, the apostles, were going to call down fire from heaven, this would probably be it. And yet Jesus leads them to this town called Tyre he entered a house, it says, and didn't want anyone to know it, but he's been there before, if you haven't looked back at the first part of the Gospel of Mark. They've all, they've all heard about Jesus. This is nothing new, but Jesus has, has taught like nobody else. and the Word has traveled, right? Somehow, some way. I mean, word of mouth has traveled even to Gentile territories. And so he couldn't keep his presence secret says in verse 24, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Have you ever reached the bottom of the barrel? You know, God does his best work when you're at the bottom of the barrel. If you're still floating along, lifeguards will tell you, hey, before you try to save somebody, make sure they're almost under. I mean, if not, they're going to fight you tooth and nail. So in a strange way, you, you, you let them sink. You let them take on some water until they're helpless, until they are at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, and then you drag them in, right? Sometimes it's the same, same way that Jesus or God deals with us. It's, we have to reach the bottom of the barrel. Have you, if you've ever dealt with addiction, I have a friend, casual friend, you know, there's a friend at a distance, but the person went through rehab and rehab and rehab, and rehab, and rehab. You get the idea, right? And you never hit, if you never hit the bottom of the barrel, you think, oh, this is my fix. This is my fix. No, this time is my fix. No, I'm really serious about No, I'm not. But if you never hit the bottom of the barrel, if you never each reach the end of yourself, if you never reach the end of yourself, that's when God can save you. That's when God does His best work. But if you're still hanging on, if you're thinking that you're going to be better, quote-unquote, better tomorrow than you are today, you're kidding yourself. You've got to reach the bottom of the barrel, or you're just a religious person. This woman, and you'll find later on the man here in Mark chapter 7, but this woman, can you imagine, those of you who have kids or nephews or nieces or something like that, can you imagine if your kid, you know this is demon possession, right? It's pretty obvious, this is demon possession, Christian asked me yesterday, do you think there's demons? 
pretty obvious. There's demon possession. The Bible speaks about it. Can you imagine? And don't you think she's at the bottom of the barrel? Don't you think she's hopeless without Jesus showing up in her life? She's a woman. She's a Gentile or a pagan. But the good news is she hears that Jesus is coming to town. And she begs him. She, she, she begs him to do something, right? And he says, no. I mean, look again at the text. Verse 27. Let, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Any, anybody like puzzles? Anybody like riddles? This, this is one of the... This is a good example of a puzzle. It's a good example of a riddle. And, and you know what he's saying? He's saying, first Jew, then Gentile. I mean, we just read about it in Genesis chapter 12, right? Or, or Paul would say in several places in the New Testament, I'm thinking specifically of, of Galatians, first Jew, then Gentile. Or in Romans he would say, the Gentiles, the Gospel has been open to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Jews didn't receive it. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, the Jews were continuing to be about their own business rather than reaching the bottom of the barrel and letting God do what God does. But notice her response. Hang with me for a second. Notice her response. Lord, sir, a, a, a term of respect, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I, I don't know if you're aware or not, but in the ancient Near East, the Jews didn't have dogs for pets. The dogs were out there, right? They, they were outside. The Gentiles, the Romans on the other hand, they had dogs underneath the table. That's the way Romans lived. That's the way the Gentiles lived. And so when she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she's saying, hey, we can get just a little bit of this good news. Jesus says, just because of your small faith, just based upon that faith alone, go ahead, she's already healed. This, this is one of the rare cases, church. Listen, this is one of the rare cases where Jesus doesn't touch or the healing is not in his vicinity, he just says, she's already healed. God is greater than even the demons. They're still having to deal with this God among us, God within us, God right, right here. Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and he went to another Gentile town called Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Decapolis, the cities. There were some people who brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. If you've ever known a partially deaf or even fully deaf man, woman for that matter, you know that they have some speech impediments because they can't, they can't hear. And so there's some, there's some struggle. He can't, they, they can't talk like we would think they should be able to talk. And they begged Jesus to... We talked last week about compassion. They had compassion on their friend. And after Jesus took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. Some of you germaphobes are kind of freaking out right now. But the key is that Jesus looked up to heaven. You remember the Last Supper? Jesus looks up to heaven with a deep sigh, with, a, with deep concern. He says to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. Now if you're a good Jew and you follow Jesus this far, and you're in a foreign land, you're in an uncomfortable place, and Jesus says, be opened. You think it's just about a deaf man. You think it's just a man who will talk like one of us. But it's much more than that. 
At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus commanded them, like he often does, not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept, they, 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 they kept talking about it. They, they couldn't stop talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let me ask you, who, who's, this, who's this lesson in Mark chapter 7? These, these two miracle stories, whether it's the, the demon possession of this child who is healed, right? Or this man who is deaf and mute, who he's, he's healed, right? the lesson for? It's not just the woman about her faith. It's not the demon-possessed child. It's not even the deaf and mute man. It's not even the faith of his friends. The greatest lesson is for the Jews, the apostles that are with Jesus. Because when he says, be opened, what he's saying, remember we talked about the difference between physical healing and spiritual healing? The greatest miracle is Jesus is saying to those closest followers that He has that the Gospel is just like it talks about in Genesis chapter 12. Just like it talks about in Isaiah chapter 35. Just like I'm going to talk to you about in Mark chapter 16. Just like it says in the Great Commission, to all peoples. To everybody. There are no limits. And yet the case is that we think of God as being somewhere out there. God forgive us. Yes, God is out there. Yes, God is the Creator. Yes, God keeps everything in place. Yes, we can see that over and over and over throughout Scripture. But we can also see God in the flesh. God with us. God within us. And the responsibility, church, that we have is not just to receive the God out there and hope that we make it to heaven one day where there's going to be pearly gates and gold streets, and everything is going to be okay. But our salvation doesn't begin when we die. Our salvation begins when we begin to live. And if you begin to live, if you understand God within you, you're going to deal with that cashier at Walmart much differently. You're going to deal with that homeless person much differently. You're going to pray for these nexus moments that you can be God or you can hear from God, from one of these people that you most, maybe even despise. I'm reminded about a text in Hebrews chapter 13 where it says, you never know, paraphrase, you never know, you never know, you might be entertaining messengers of God at this very moment. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for me this morning is that we will see that God gives us eyes to see. That we will hear that God gives us ears to hear. Those people that you wrote on those cards, we're we're praying for those people. But God also wants you to interact with these people. And God can even use those people to reveal Himself to you. The problem is that God is too distant from us. We need to understand that God is within us. As I mentioned to you before, some of this may sound really, really crazy to you. If it does, if, if the cross is foolishness to you, if this is just silly, then I would ask you to consider a conversation with myself or one of the elders or somebody who's been here for a while. I, I would ask you to not just be about attending church, but actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. One day we'll stand before Jesus, you understand, 
And he perhaps will ask us if we've received him as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but also Lord. And what did you do with that salvation? What is it that you did as the temple of God on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, when you were 50 years old, when you were 60 years old, when you were 80 years old, you checked out. What is it that you've done with God within us? And that, I think, is a better question than just, did you receive Jesus as your Savior? Because the evidence will point whether you did or not. Let's pray. Father, for your word, uh, for the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, I'm grateful. Father, for... Uh, our responsibility for accountability, for being the people that you want us to be. I pray that uh, we understand that salvation is not just about something in the future, but it's about the here and now. It's about the here and now. Help us, God, to see as you see. Help us to hear as you hear. Give us ministry opportunities, Father, and help us to always give you the honor and the glory. Help us to understand it's not just about God over there but it's about God right here. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.